Let's open God's holy word this morning to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew 8, where we'll read the verses 5 to 13. And then we'll also read it, the parallel passage in Luke, Luke chapter 7, the first 10 verses. So we begin with Matthew 8 at verse 5. And this is God's word. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. And then we look at also Luke chapter 7, the first 10 verses. Now when he, Jesus, concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well, who had been sick so far the Word of God, and we'll, the text we'll focus on is Matthew 8, verse 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, what is faith? We confess in the Heidelberg Catechism, it's a sure knowledge and a firm confidence in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
But in the New Testament, we notice too that the Lord Jesus speaks in numerous places about great faith and little faith. What is little faith? What is great faith? And this morning we'll pay attention to an incident in which the Lord Jesus spoke of a faith such as he had not seen in Israel at that time, a great faith. So we could say that Jesus describes that man there as a great, having great faith, faith at its best, we could say, faith which we can learn from, faith which we could pray for, such faith. And so the theme for this morning is great faith exemplified, and we see three things. It displays great compassion, it shows deep humility, and it expresses wonderful certainty. So first of all, this uh, great faith displays great compassion. So this centurion came up to Jesus as he was walking into the town of Capernaum, where he had actually he had taken up residence there. A centurion, you might know, was a commander over a hundred of, of over a hundred or so Roman soldiers. Quite a responsible position. Capernaum, if you look at the map of the region in the back of your Bible or so, then you see that Capernaum was in the, the north shore of the Sea of Galilee in the region of Galilee there. A kind of restless and isolated region as far as Roman cons control was concerned. So the Roman authorities, they positioned their better forces in that region and in this case, it was King Herod who had been appointed to his position by Caesar. It was Herod who had the responsibility for that region, and he had appointed that centurion and put him there. Guard that region there with your soldiers. And so the centurion lived in or near Capernaum, probably in a nice villa because he had a pretty high position. And he was, of course, a Roman himself, somebody who belonged to the occupying power in Palestine at that time. But he also loved the Jewish people, we're told. It says that in Luke 7, too. He loved the Jewish nation. And it was, that was shown by the fact, related in that parallel passage, that he had built a synagogue for the Jews in Capernaum. That was a striking deed for, the, for someone, a leader of the occupying power, to build a synagogue, spent a considerable amount of money to build a new church in Capernaum for the people there, so to speak. That certainly showed love for the people of God, and even God himself. And that's why, according to Luke's account, the Jewish leaders told him he's, he's, he's worthy to have you help him. And he asked Jesus for help because one of his servants was very sick, paralyzed by sickness, suffering terribly, even at the point of death, as Luke relates in the parallel passage. So he approached Jesus via some elders of the Jews, appealing for help for his servant. And that says something, right? in itself, that appealing for help for his servant. Uh, 
He had a lot of compassion for that servant. The Greek word Matthew uses for that servant is actually pais, which is a, a word for a young boy. Poor people in Israel those days would sometimes contract their children out to wealthy people. And uh, they became bond servants. They actually became kind of slaves until their parents had enough money to buy them back again. And they became kind of gophers, those uh, young children. They became gophers for those. They go and do that and go over there and get, it, and get that for me. Young servants who constantly did their master's bidding. And you know that still happens in places like India and Africa today. Poor parents, they, they sell out their children and then they're often too poor to buy them back over time and often those young people are simply treated like slaves. There's a Christian ministry today called International Justice Mission which works to free children and caught in that kind of slavery. In any case, the fact that the centurion pleaded for help for this young servant says something about that centurion and his faith. He displayed great compassion for that boy. There were probably many other young kids in that region who could simply take that young fellow's place if he died. No big deal. Bond servants like that were cheap to buy from poor people in those days too. But the centurion treated him, treated this young servant like a son. And he had heard how Jesus had healed so many people already, so he pleaded with him, Lord, help this boy, please heal him. He is dying. And congregation... Our text then shows a beautiful feature of great faith. Faith is genuinely concerned about the well-being of others, especially those who are, are on the kind of the fringes or those who really need help, needy. Faith arouses compassion for people like that. Even if it costs time, effort, or money, for those who are looked down on or are bullied or disabled in some way, oh, that compassion in itself is not proof of faith as such, because people without faith can also show care and compassion for others. But if that's all already the case, then someone who has faith will certainly show care and compassion for others, but with different motives. Believers reflect, you see, believers reflect God's compassion. They show compassion to glorify the God of compassion. And with the hope that others will also come to know God's compassion. The compassion of God in Jesus Christ, the Savior. While we were still sinners, He died for us. And then faith Faith in Christ opens eyes and hearts and also wallets for others who need help and need to be shown mercy and love. Notice that Jesus said right away, verse 7, I will, I will come. I'll come and heal him. Jesus was willing to go immediately to that man's villa to help. 
willing and ready to give help. And that's the wonder of his grace, isn't it? He comes. He comes with his compassion. Actually, if you think about it, that makes every worship service special, congregation. The Lord Jesus comes to us here. He comes to us poor sinners via his gospel. He comes. The Son of God came already to suffer and to even descend into hell and to die for us in order to undergo God's just wrath against our sins. He came to make us poor sinners right with God and obtain the Holy Spirit for us. And he rose from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God from where he distributes the benefits of forgiveness of sins and sends out his Spirit. And he still comes to us here, every worship service to us sinners, with his grace and compassion to renew us in his image, to arouse great faith with great compassion in us for others in need. To arouse that in our hearts too. The gospel of Christ's grace, great compassion will not leave us affected if we accept and believe what he has done for us poor sinners in ourselves. We come to the second part of the sermon. Great, great faith shows deep humility too. Congregation, we continue to see what great faith is when we look at that centurion. And what he said after Jesus told him he was coming to heal his young servant, he says, Lord, I, I don't deserve, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. When he thinks about the Lord Jesus coming to his house, he thinks and then he confesses, I'm, I don't deserve this. I'm, I'm not worthy, Lord. And that's, that's amazing. That's actually faith too, hey? Great faith. Because just think, he could have said it the other way around too. He could have said, though, I'm, a, I'm an important, I'm a well-to-do Roman leader. Uh, Jesus is just a Jew, a member of the nation we occupy, just the son of a carpenter from Nazareth. He's not worthy to come to me, but he says it exactly the other way around. If you think about that, I'm not worthy, not deserving to have you come under my roof. And the Greek word translated here as worthy means a considerable enough, important enough. In other words, the centurion says that he's not qualified enough, not sufficiently competent to have Jesus come to his house. And that's interesting to to note, to think about, because remember that in Luke 7, the Jewish elders had said that that the centurion was deserving and worthy to be helped because he had built this synagogue for them. So whereas other people considered him eminently worthy to receive Jesus, he himself felt completely differently about that. I'm not deserving, not qualified, not worthy to receive you into my house, Jesus. And that's deep humility, congregation. You can have lots of gifts and talents, a lot of knowledge of the Bible, have given a lot of your time and money for the church and the kingdom, such as that others say about you, oh, they're deserving 
of the Lord's goodness or he's worthy of being an office bearer. But faith, great faith like that of the centurion will think, I'm actually not worthy. I know myself, I'm actually not worthy, not qualified enough, not deserving because I so often seek myself, my own recognition, and I can sometimes be too swayed by my own emotions. No, I'm not really competent enough to serve the Lord Jesus and his kingdom and to seek his honor alone. I'm still so inclined to all evil and have only just a, such a small beginning of new obedience yet. That's deep humility before the Lord of life. That springs out of faith, great faith. And notice too that the centurion expressed his unworthiness when Jesus is on the way to his house. So he first asked the Lord to come and help, but as Jesus comes closer and closer to his house, he becomes more and more aware of his own unworthiness, his undeservingness. That's also how it is for true believers. The closer to the Lord Jesus you live, the better you see him the more faults you see in yourself too and the more you realize I am unworthy of him. His gospel you see throws light on your inclination to selfish pride, envy, your lust, selfishness and so on. Like a, like a, it's like a room full of junk. The more brightly the light shines on it, the more junk you see. And that's how it is with great faith, congregation. The closer Jesus is to you, the more you see your own unworthiness. And then you understand what the Apostle Paul was writing about in Romans 7, for instance, when he says, I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but I don't have the ability to carry it out. And then he says at the end of that chapter, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. What humility. The thing is, congregation, faith always brings to amazement and to humility before Christ. And great faith then to great amazement and great humility. How is it possible that the Lord Jesus wants me, wants to come to me? And you see that in what old Elizabeth said when Mary came to visit her. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She expressed amazement and deep humility that Mary, who was pregnant with the Lord, her Savior, would come to her. She felt unworthy. And it's sad if that amazement and sense of unworthiness isn't there anymore and you think it's no big deal that Jesus comes to you every Sunday with the gospel of his humiliation for his sins and, and sin, for your sins and sinfulness, that you become casual about the gospel of Christ and what has been promised to you in him. And... You know, when the sense of humility and amazement that he comes to you in the gospel is gone, you, you so easily begin to think you're, you're actually kind of worthy of 
whatever Jesus gives you and does for you. He should be happy to have you of all people and that you chose for him instead of he for you. No congregation, true faith, great faith brings to humility. And we come to the third part of the sermon. Great faith expresses wonderful certainty too. So the the faith of the centurion exemplifies compassion and humility and we're also told it exemplifies something else. Notice that he tells Jesus that he doesn't really need to come to his house and he says, just say a word, Lord. Just say a word and my servant will be healed. He's so confident that Jesus just has to say a word and his young servant will be healed of his deadly illness and will stand up and serve him again. And he explains that by giving an example from his own life. He he justifies his certainty in the Lord Jesus. He says, verse 9, because I'm also a man under authority. I'm a man under authority. And that was true because the centurion was under, under the authority of King Herod who had appointed him. So the centurion's authority over his soldiers came from Herod. And then he adds that with that authority that he had been given, he could say to his soldiers, one of his soldiers, go. And he would go. And to another, come. And he would come. And to his servant, do this. And he would do that. They all recognized his authority. They obeyed him. Because they knew he had received authority from higher up. From the king. And what, you think about that. What the centurion is saying then is that it's the same case with the Lord Jesus. He has God above him who says he has to do what he does. He's not just a carpenter's son, but he's been sent by God. And because God has sent him and appointed him and anointed him, we'll think about that this afternoon, he possesses authority to even heal illnesses, authority to proclaim the gospel and of, of forgiveness and to heal illnesses. Notice, by the way, that at the end of Matthew 7, that, that the crowds were astonished at Jesus' teaching because he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. The the centurion saw that the Lord Jesus had authority too. And he was convinced that Jesus had that authority from God. And that's why he was certain Jesus had the power to just say the word and his servant would be healed. Now you just think that through and you realize that the centurion already saw something of what has become much clearer to us now. Because we know now from the New Testament that Jesus was the Son of God who was put to death and then raised from the dead and taken up into heaven and is now seated at the right hand of God in power and with authority. All power and authority, he said, has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And so when he speaks, when he says the word, it will happen. The centurion was certain of that already 
even though he didn't know all the things that we know now, he already had that sense. And see, that is great faith. Why? Well, just imagine if the centurion had thought to himself, well, I'll have Jesus come to my place and say something to my servant over my servant, and then we'll see what happens. If I see that my servant gets better, then I'll believe that he has authority from God. If he doesn't, then I, I won't. But faith doesn't say, I need to see before I believe. No, it says, I believe, and therefore I will see. I believe Jesus has the authority from God to do it, even, even if I don't see it at this moment. It will happen. That's faith. Great faith, congregation. Think of Hebrews 11. Faith, it says there right at the beginning of that chapter, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, the certainty of things not seen. It's being certain that the Lord Jesus can and will do what he has promised and is being certain even before you see anything of it. He has promised me forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit to give me a renewed heart. A heart that hates that sin and finds it a love and delight to live according to God's will. Jesus has the power to do that in me. So faith says, Lord Jesus, I know you promised that for me and you will do it for me. Renew my heart and you will hear my prayer and forgive my sin and help me to overcome it. You will give me the strength because you are both willing and able. Just say the word. You have the authority and the power to work that for me. And congregation... You know what we sometimes all too easily do? We pray. We pray for the renewal of our hearts. And then we, we kind of let it go. We doubt it again too. I can't overcome that. I, you just give up. We figure that we'll have to wait and see if anything really changes for us. Maybe if we notice that he'll actually work that renewal in us. Give us the strength. Wait and see if I really feel that I'm really growing and desiring God and living for Him. The thing is, then we actually want to see first and then believe. But true faith is believing without seeing, being certain that it'll happen. Even if you don't see it, you don't see how it even could happen. It's going to Jesus and pleading with Him to change your heart so that certain, that certain sin in your life doesn't attract you anymore but loving him and desiring to do his will, that draws you more and more. Lord, work that in me, please. Do that by your spirit. Just say the word. And you confess that even before you feel or notice anything. I will be renewed. I will be. And that's faith, trusting in Jesus' willingness and in his power to help you in your need before you notice any change and being certain that he will do as he promised. And then, in time, you will see that too. He does it. Sometimes it takes a long time, but 
He will do it. The thing is, we often expect way too little of our Savior, don't we? Luther said, as Luther said, you know, faith is like a jar. Great faith is a big jar, and the Lord can give you much then. Little faith is like a little, little wee tiny container, and then the Lord can only put little into that. So the greater faith is, the more His Spirit's power can work in the heart and do what you ask. But great faith doesn't really need to sense that. Eh? It simply trusts in the Lord and in His Word, trusts in His willingness and His power, even without experiencing anything. And that's, that's then the work of the Spirit Himself already. In fact, Jesus notes something else in connection with great faith in the text. He says to those who followed him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. He had not found such great faith in Israel among the covenant people of God who had the Old Testament, who listened to the scriptures every Sabbath, had all the saving promises of God, heard the Bible, the Old Testament explained so many times from childhood already who had heard even so much from Jesus and seen him perform so many miracles in Israel already. But this centurion, who had only recently come into contact with the God of the covenant and only knew some things about Jesus, that man, that Roman man, believed in him. He had great faith even. And that brings to mind, for instance, the city of Nineveh. They heard one short sermon from Jonah. Repent, or you will be destroyed. And, and they repented. And then think of the, the wise men from the east who had only seen a star and only heard that the king of the Jews had been, was to be born in Bethlehem and who, who believed and gave him valuable gifts. Those people had heard just a little bit, rumors even, and they believed without question. They showed certainty about the Lord Jesus already, and that's great faith. And notice then that the Lord Jesus follows that words about great faith in the text with a serious warning. Sadly, there are those who have known the Bible and heard it proclaimed their whole life long, who have seen examples of faith around them, but who do not believe and who die in their unbelief. And Jesus describes them as sons of the kingdom who will be thrown into outer darkness. They had rich and everlasting promises, but they took it all for granted. They threw them all away, all those other rich promises, they threw them away to run after other things, worldly things, only for this life. And while people from east and west will come and feast in the kingdom, those who had the promises but threw them away will end up in outer darkness. So brothers and sisters, boys and girls, we have the promises so we need to pray humbly and urgently for the Spirit of the Lord to work great faith in our hearts. Because that's what he promised at our baptism. You can hear it this afternoon again. 
And you can be certain that he loves to hear and will answer prayers for him to fulfill his promises like that. He's willing and he's also mighty to just say the word and work great faith also in you by his spirit. A great faith like the Roman centurion had. And so, congregation, be there then too when the Lord Jesus comes on Sundays. And let him come to you in his word. Do your utmost to have great faith. In other words, faith that's accompanied by great compassion for others. Is deeply humbly, humble and is wonderfully certain about the Lord Jesus and his power and his promises. Amen.